26 with me this morning. If you don't have a Sunday school lesson, and if you get your hand up, fellas can help with that. Uh, we're looking at lesson 11. Uh, we're continuing a lesson we started last uh, Sunday. Lesson 11, the education of a disciple in the life of Peter. Oh yeah, I guess I, f I forgot to dismiss the kids. We're having a mass exodus. All right, lesson number 11. Matthew 26, your Bible's open. Anyone else still need a Sunday school lesson? You did not get one. I want to make sure everybody has one. Back, Brother Kevin needs one back there. Anyone else? All right. Follow along with me here, starting in verse 47 of Matthew 26. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. Let's pray together. Lord, as we examine, as we think about, Lord, the betrayal by Judas of our Lord. Lord, as we see the reaction of Christ, as we see the way he dealt with one who would deal so treacherously with him. Lord, we see the contrast in Christ and in Peter. And Lord, if we're honest with ourselves as we read the passage and as we think about the the teaching today, we see the contrast between Christ and our actions and our responses. Lord, I pray that we would learn to forbear. Lord, that we would learn to be like you. Lord, would you help us this morning as we examine the topic, as we ask you to work in us and through us. And Lord, we thank you and praise you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We see in this passage Peter doing what Peter does, uh, Peter reacting, Peter making a decision without thinking about what he was doing, without advising the Lord, without looking to the Lord's guidance and the Lord's direction. And Christian, can I tell you, often we act like Peter. Often we want to treat people the way they treat us. We want to react based upon how we feel, what we think. Uh, we want to be judge, jury, and executioner most of the time. 
But we see here Christ as Judas would come and betray him. The Lord would set an example of forbearance. Psalms tells us, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4, But in all things approving ourselves as a minister of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, kindness by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, or real love. Love that's not fake. Love that's not shallow. A love that's not just a gilded love, but a love that is true all the way through. James 1, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Peter, as he pulled out a sword and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this situation. Our wrath, the wrath of man, the Bible says, never, never works and does what God wants us to do. It does not do the righteousness of God. Number one, and we saw this last week, but I want to go back and uh, build upon it. We saw the betrayal. The betrayal. Now, that betrayal, point number one this morning, is without a doubt the greatest betrayal that we read of in the Bible from cover to cover. As we look from Genesis chapter 1 to the last amen of Revelation, uh, we find that this betrayal of Judas, look if you will at verse 20 in our text. It says in verse 20 of Matthew 26, Now when even was come, he sat down with the twelve, this was Jesus, and as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Now when Jesus said, somebody is going to betray me, I'm sure that they could not imagine the betrayal that would happen. And, of course, we know that Jesus said, uh, basically they asked the question, is it me, is it me, is it me? When Judas says, is it me, he said, yeah, you said it. Go ahead. Go do what you're going to do. But this betrayal of, by Judas of the Lord was told by Christ. It was no doubt one of the darkest hours in human history, but understand it was needful. I remember a dear sweet lady, a saint of God, she's in heaven now, I'm absolutely certain. Uh, I'm sure she's passed away many years now. About 17 years ago, I met her. She lived over in the Spring Garden Apartments over here just near our old building near the community hall, and she was uh, an older lady. She was, I think she was almost 90 when I met her, and she could barely get around. She could not get out much, and she was never able to come out to a service, but I would stop and visit with her and pray with her, and of course, we didn't have live streaming opportunities like we do now, and so I would stop and visit with her for a moment, and one day I was very sick. And I went to the door, and I stayed way back from the door. And when she came to the door, I said, Ma'am, 
I said, I'm really sick. I said, I can't come in. I said, I don't want to get you sick. I just wanted to stop by and see how you're doing. And she asked me a question. She said, have you taken Buckley's yet? And I'm a, I was born in the United States. We don't have Buckley's in the U.S., or at least when I was growing up. And I said, what's Buckley's? And she looked at me and said, get in here right now. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I walked inside the door and I shut the door, and she said, I'll be right back. And she went and got a bottle of Buckley's. She filled up about a 50-gallon drum of it and made me drink it. And she gave me a, a dose, a heavy dose, Brother Maude, of Buckley's. I drank that stuff. Oh. I grew up with asthma as a kid. I, had, I was in the hosp hospitalized for pneumonia several times. I've been in oxygen tents. Uh, I dealt with, I uh, had Vicks Vapor Rub rubbed on me almost daily as a boy. Uh, it literally takes, took, like someone took Vicks Vapor Rub, condensed it down and made a drink out of it, and then added stuff to make it taste worse. And I drank that stuff. I'm like, oh, that's horrible. I left that place. She had a smile on her face. I thought she was tricking me. I thought it was like a joke. Uh, she was so happy I took the Buckleys. I left within 30 minutes. Brother Eric, I, I felt better. I mean, it just, as they say, it tastes awful. But it works. It was needful. Uh, no, I don't like it. I don't want it. But sometimes it's needful. Can I tell you that I, I don't believe for a second that Jesus enjoyed being lied about. I don't think he enjoyed uh, this trickery that came about. Uh, I, I don't believe he enjoyed this betrayal at all. But Jesus said to Peter, hey, this has to happen. It was the plan of God. But we see the betrayal and it punctuates, the betrayal is punctuated, uh, letter A there in your notes, is punctuated by the kiss, by the kiss of Judas, the kiss of Judas. We see that in verse 48 and 49, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, hail, master, kissed him. We see the tenderness, the tenderness here used rather than something good used in the betrayal by Judas. Now we know the Bible tells us, and we talked about it last week, I won't belabor the point, but in the book of John the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. It was the work of Satan. I think Satan thought that he had a, he, he had a great plan. I think Satan thought, man, this is it. This is going to work. Uh, I believe, I really believe when Jesus died on the cross and he was buried in that tomb, you know, Peter was mourning and said, I go a fishing. The disciples were weeping. Uh, the women were weeping. I think Satan was partying because he was proud of himself. But can I tell you that although the betrayal with a sign of a kiss, making it even more painful, if you will, more dastardly it was the work of Satan lest we get too angry lest we try to blame Judas we see it was 
the work of Satan himself. I mentioned last week the murder of Caesar. As Caesar would be overthrown and his closest friend, Brutus, would be involved. How painful that betrayal. Not only we see the kiss of Judas, but also, as we saw last week, and this is, the, this is what's hard to balance. This, this is what's hard to get together, and that is the kindness of Jesus. The kindness of Jesus. In verse 50, and to me this is the most amazing verse in this passage. And Jesus said to him, Friend, wherefore not thou come? Jesus was not defending himself. And Jesus did not speak ill of Judas. Jesus didn't say, hey there, devil. Rather, he called him friend. He put his guard down. He, he welcomed. By the way, when Judas was coming towards him to kiss him, it didn't shock Jesus. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And yet he allowed Judas to embrace him and kiss him. And then he would call him friend. We see the kindness of Christ. The kindness of Christ in face of this betrayal. We see another glimpse of the heart of Christ here, I believe, very deeply when we see him calling Judas friend. What's our response? A Christian, let's just be honest this morning. If we're honest with ourselves, what is our response when we're wrong? It's not, oh, hello, friend. It's, hello, friend. Uh, that, that's, that's our response. Uh, it's, hello, you. They're blank, blank, blankety, blank, blank. I'll get Brother Maud to fill in the blanks for us. Uh, I don't know the words, but Brother Maud does. Uh, we, we want to uh, react. Uh, we want to attack. Uh, we want to go after. Last night, I watched something happen that played out that is very much like our life. I watched my dog. He was laying on the floor. And he stood up and he looked through the hallway, out the window or the, in the door or the back window of the kitchen, and he saw a cat. He saw a cat on the roof of a neighbor's house. I don't know why there were cats on the roof. I don't know if it was raining cats and dogs and the cat. Anyway, there was a cat on the roof. And as soon as he saw that cat, roof, 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 and I'm yelling at him to be quiet, and he wants to go outside, and, and Carrie opened the door for him to go outside. So he's running as far as he can over to the fence. Roof, roof, roof. He's like, I want to eat you. I want to kill you. I hate you. You're a cat. I mean, it's ingrained in him. Uh, he sees a cat instantly. He's, he has murderous intents in his heart. Well, that cat didn't do anything to him. It was just up on the roof doing whatever cats do. Nefarious stuff for sure because cats are nefarious creatures. But did nothing to him. But he was going to react. Christian, how often? It doesn't take very much 
for somebody to do or say, or we even just assume. You see the way that guy looked at me? I know what he's thinking. Yeah, he's probably thinking, man, I need another coffee. Uh, he's not thinking about you. But it doesn't take us much to react. It doesn't take us much. Rather than having kindness, we turn the kindness off. And rather than being long-suffering and forbearing as Christ was, we get on the defensive. We, we get on the attack mode. Now, Christian, we see here that Jesus was kind. We're to emanate, imitate, excuse me, Christ. He was kindness incarnate in the flesh. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul, penning the words of God to the church at Ephesus, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In Colossians, the church of Colossae, God gave the words in Colossians 3.12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Charity, love. God wants us to be forbearing. Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering. How many of you remember the old Popeye cartoon? That was my favorite cartoon when I was a kid. I love spinach. I've loved spinach my whole life. You know why? Popeye. Oh, man. Brother Jeff, I'd eat spinach, cans of it as a kid, man. I, I just kept waiting for the steamboat to pop up on my muscle. I, for that matter, I kept waiting for a muscle to finally pop up. Uh, but on the old Popeye cartoons, there was always a moment. He was that kind of pushover guy. And there was always the moment when he would say something like, I've, I've stood all I can stand and I can't stand no more. And he'd eat the spinach and uh, he'd take care of business. Uh, I, that's why I like Popeye, man. I like seeing him pop that guy. Uh, I look more like Brutus than I look like Popeye. Uh, I definitely look nothing like olive oil, a little bit like Wimpy. But kind of a mix of Brutus and Wimpy is me. But Popeye at one point would say, I'm not taking it anymore. Now, we congratulate ourselves when we say, I've got a high threshold of tolerance. I can take a lot, but there comes a point where I'm not taking it anymore. You see, we're not a better Christian because we have a higher level of when we say we're not going to take it anymore. Rather, God wants us to say to be long-suffering forbearing as Christ would say here to Judas and call him friend as I mentioned there are many parallels last week I talked about this as we closed many parallels between the life of Jesus and the life of Joseph 
Christ, of course, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. But we have a picture to the Old Testament, a picture of what God would do in the Messiah years to come down the road, pictures uh, in part in Joseph. Joseph was mistreated. Joseph was wronged by his brethren. And Joseph, as an old man, when his dad died, and his brothers came and said, hey, we're worried. Now that dad's dead, you're going to kill us. You only didn't kill us because of dad. Now that dad's dead, you're going to kill us. And Joseph said, ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Christian, when we understand that God is in control, when we trust him, when we can let go of the, the handle and say, okay, I can trust the Lord. How many of you have ever grabbed the handle in a car because you're afraid of somebody's driving? How many of you do that every time you're with somebody because you're always terrified? Brother Eric, I see that hand. Uh, I'm sure it's not his dear wife that he's speaking about. I'm sure that's not the case. But, you know, we're afraid. I'm not sure how that's going to help, but we just feel like, okay, as long as I got a hold of something, maybe I can direct the car. You can't direct your life any more than you can direct a car by holding the handle on the ceiling. I can let go. I can say, God, I'm going to distrust you. Even when difficult times come, horrible times come, I'm going to trust and know that you know what's best and you're in control. Number two this morning, we saw the betrayal. Number two, we see the battle. The battle. Verse 51. By the way, just so you know, it was not a long battle. Verse 51, and behold, one of them, which was with Jesus, and of course we know, uh, if we look in the, in the Gospel of John, it was Peter, uh, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. After Christ had been betrayed, a battle broke out. It was a very small skirmish. Many of you have been following the, the tragedy in Israel and seeing the loss of life and the treachery that happened in the last 36 hours. Still ongoing, by the way. But this battle, very quick. Very quick. Remember, there's a group of men, a large group of men who are armed. Peter pulls a sword. Peter chops off an ear, and that was it. That was the end of the battle. He cut off a man's ear named Malchus. Can I tell you it's a wonderful thing to stand strongly for the Lord? And we better stand strongly for the Lord. But let me help you with something. You need to do it God's way. There's a whole lot of people. Boy, Lord, I'm, I'm fighting for you, Lord. And the Lord looks down and says, no, you're fighting people. You're not fighting for me. A lot of ear chopping going on today. A lot of sword rattling. A lot of folks trying to proclaim that they are standing for Christ by standing against people. A lot of folks claiming, well, they're, they're defending the Lord. I'm defending him against... I'm not sure what. But Jesus said to Peter, Peter... I don't need your sword. 
I mean, if I wanted to, I could pray and legions of angels would show up. I, I don't need you to defend me. By the way, your job is not to defend Christ in our world. Our job is to proclaim Christ. Our job is not to argue Christ. Our job is not to tell people how much better we are at knowing Christ than other people. Our job is not to proclaim uh, that everybody else is wrong and we're right. Our job is simply to proclaim Christ. Peter said, no, I'm going to fight. Uh, I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to do it my way. And God was not pleased. How do we know God wasn't pleased? Jesus picked up the ear. He, he did the first plastic surgery in the Bible. Uh, and placed the ear back on. Uh, we instantly healed. I wish Peter would have chopped my shoulder, brother Ahmad, and me instantly healed. But we see here that this battle, letter A in your notes, we see the sword of Peter. I want you to turn to John 18 with me. The Gospel of John, verse number 18. In verse 10, chapter 18, excuse me, verse 10. Here we have the account that God gave to John of the gospel here. Then Simon Peter, verse 10, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus always put, you look in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find that Jesus always, every account in the gospels, Jesus always put the welfare of others first. Always. After Jesus acknowledged that he was the one they're looking for, it's me. He, he didn't say, hey. He didn't point at Peter and say, yeah, that guy's name's Jesus. That would have been easy to do. I'm not Jesus. That's Jesus. No, no, I'm not Jesus. That's Jesus. Uh, imagine the confusion that would happen that night. Jesus already said, hey, take me. I'm the one. After he did so, the terrified disciples took off. They fled, but not before Peter. Not before Peter would pull out his sword and chop off an ear and say, man, I'm going to go down fighting here. I'm not, I'm not accepting what's going on. Peter decided he needed to defend the Lord all by himself <laughs> against an angry mob, against the whole world if necessary. Peter fancied himself the protector of Christ. Christian, you and I are not the protectors of Christ. We're to be the proclaimers of Christ. By the way, the local church is not the protector of Christ. We're to be the proclaimer of Christ, the proclaimer of the gospel. God did not have a job for Peter pulling a sword out and defending him. He had a job for Peter taking the word of God and proclaiming it on the streets and thousands being saved. And his, his job application is still the same. His purpose is still the same. He's, he's not looking for defenders. He's looking for proclaimers. Peter decided he needed to uh, take a swing, as I mentioned last week. Uh, I don't think Peter... Peter was 
going to chop that ear off. Oh, no, no, no. I think Peter was trying to chop his head off. Malchus must have just moved. Somewhere I've got a picture, and I, if this offends you, I'm sorry. Uh, but I've got a picture of a squirrel somewhere, a squirrel from West Virginia. Our squirrels, you know, here we have squirrels. They're like this long. How many of you have seen a squirrel? If you haven't seen a squirrel, you can go and Google later, not right now. A little, call them tree rats. Uh, you know, our little squirrels here, little red squirrels. You may be a really big red squirrel. It's about that long. You know, body's about this long, maybe tail about that long. Where I'm from, we have fox squirrels. We have red fox squirrels and gray fox squirrels. And the red fox squirrels are like fox squirrels that are on steroids and go to Gold's Gym every day. They're massive. Like you could saddle them. Uh, your son could ride them for sure. Get John the Baptist on his back. I mean, they're big squirrels. And uh, they're, and I, I'm not exaggerating. I, I, I've known, been known to exaggerate, but not exaggerating. A, a red squirrel, fox squirrel, could be that big. We're talking a body almost as big around as my forearm. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, uh, Brother Arnold, they're delicious. Uh, I grew up eating lots of them. Now, the ones here, I can tell you were not delicious. But the ones I grew up eating, uh, they were delicious. And uh, we hunted them all the time, and uh, we ate a lot of them. Miss Lois, you probably had squirrel brains, haven't you? That's why Miss Lois is so smart. And, uh, you know, we eat them in the South. I mean, they're, they're a delicacy. Uh, fried squirrel, squirrel gravy and biscuits, squirrel brains. Uh, they're just, how many of you are hungry now that I've talked about the squirrel brains? How many of you are probably not going to be able to eat turkey now? Uh, but I was uh, deer hunting one day, and I saw a big squirrel. And I called my dad on the radio I think if I remember, I try to remember the whole conversation. I said, Dad, I see a giant squirrel. Now, I'm hunting deer. I don't have a squirrel gun. I hunt a squirrel with a shotgun or a 22, same kind of gun I'd use to hunt a, a, a grouse here in Alberta. But I've got a, I've got a deer rifle uh, used for killing big game. And I called my dad on the radio. I said, Dad, this squirrel is so big. And I want to shoot it so bad. I want to eat it. It's a massive squirrel. And my dad said, you're going to blow it up. Don't shoot the squirrel. You'll waste the squirrel. And I made a decision. I don't remember if I told my dad I was going to do it or not, but I remember making a decision. I'm going to shoot the squirrel's nose off. So I waited until the squirrel was hanging on the tree. Well, he was kind of hanging like this. I was seeing it from that side. And... I held the crosshairs just right at the tip of his nose. And I squeezed the trigger. I won't show you the picture because it might offend you, but I've got a picture of that squirrel. By the way, I ate him. But when I brought him home, he was only missing the tip of his nose. I just shot his nose off, and the shot killed him. Now, I was aiming for the nose. Peter wasn't aiming for that ear. Peter, when he was going after Malchus, it was life and death. He was going to take his life. He decided that man's life is not as important as Jesus. Can I tell you that Jesus came to die for the world? When we place the life, when we take the life that Jesus died for and we devalue it, 
we're doing a disservice to the gospel. Malchus, you know what Malchus needed? He needed somebody to preach Christ to him. He needed him to tell somebody to tell him about Jesus and about why he came. But Peter, we see Peter's sword. Uh, now it's commendable that Peter wanted to, in his own way, love the Lord. But Christian, we need to follow God's pattern and God's purpose. Peter was following what he thought, what he felt. Remember, Jesus had said to him, and Peter heard these words. Peter was right there, front row seat. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Peter heard that growing up. Peter heard Jesus say, you've heard this. But what did Jesus, his rabbi, his master say? But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn him the other also. Peter had been told, hey, I know you were taught this growing up, Peter, but this is what I'm telling you. But Peter reverted back to what he wanted to do. Between 1096 and 1291, the Crusades took place, consisted of European armies marching towards the Middle East with the goal purported to be freeing the Holy Land from Muslim occupation. In reality, if you study history, you will find that there were many motives at play, not the least of which was the opportunity for personal glory and for plunder. By the way, you can go today and go to British museums and find much of that plunder today. Uh, many were uh, made wealthy by the plunder that happened during that time. The motive was not pure. The motive was not holy. They tried to put a Christian slant on what they were doing, but rather it was not for the glory of God. So often we try to say what we're doing for the glory of God. In reality, it's for our flesh. It's for what we want. We see Peter doing that with his sword. Number two, or letter B in your notes this morning, we see the counterbalance of that sword. We see the sympathy of Jesus. Luke 22, verse 51 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. This is speaking of Christ. Yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. We find that in Isaiah 53, verse 7. Look there in Luke 22, if you have it open. The book of Luke, chapter 22, and verse 51. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear. And healed him. We see that Jesus responded to the attack. He responded to what Peter had done, supposedly in his name, with a touch of healing. A touch of healing. I went on Thursday morning to see a dear friend of mine who's a reflexologist. And he worked on me a bit, worked on my shoulder and my neck. My back a bit. 
He asked me, he said, now, the, when you in your accident, did you hit your head? I said, yeah. I said, I landed on my temple. He looked at me, and he said, yeah, I need to, let me work on your neck. So I laid down, and he starts feeling my neck and pushing a couple spots. He said, this is this nerve. This is this nerve. He's talking about what he's doing. And then he touched a place on my neck. Nothing else mattered in the whole world. I was immobilized in pain. It was I couldn't do anything. And I could barely speak, and I, at, I said to him, his name is Roger, he goes by Bear, I said, Bear, I said, you have to show me what you're doing. I said, because literally, I said, if I ever have to deal with someone or need to immobilize them, if I know where to touch, if I can touch that spot, I won't have to hurt them. Uh, if I ever need to deal with that, he laughed, he said, it won't work. He said, the only reason you're in pain is because you've got an issue that I'm dealing with here. Normal people, there'd be no pain touching there. Uh, but, you know, we think of Jesus, you know, like the Vulcan death grip. He just touched him so he could put him down. No. Uh, he didn't say, okay, I'm going to try to find that right nerve. Ha, <laughs> I got you down. No. Jesus' touch was a touch of help, a touch of healing, a touch of sympathy, if you will. We see the balance between the sword of Peter and the sympathy of Christ. When we respond to an unjust attack, and by the way, they're going to come, we need to respond as the Lord did with peace, silence. I have a very, very dear friend who was attacked, not physically, but verbally, in a very horrible way. He called me late at night. This is many months ago. And my response to him was, don't respond. Why? Because that's Jesus' pattern. By the way, can I tell you it's really hard not to respond? It's not what you want to do. But it's the right thing. Jesus here, who was the judge of all. By the way, you're not, but he is. Jesus, who was the judge of all, said, judge not that you be not judged. Peter pronounced himself as judge. He said, I'm going to take this guy out. I'm going I'm to care for this. In the heat of the moment, he'd forgotten what he'd been taught. David. David was once more in exile, this time at the hands of his own son, Absalom. He was on his sorrowful way out of Jerusalem. He was accosted by a man named Shimei. How did David respond to Shimei? The Bible records in 2 Samuel 16, and when King David came to Bahurim, Behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand, on his left. So get the picture here. David and his mighty men are coming. Here Shimei comes. He's cussing and swearing and throwing rocks at the king, throwing rocks at the mighty men. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, 
Come out. Come out, thou bloody man. The man of Belial, or man of the devil. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord has divided the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. Behold, thou art taken in thy mischief because thou art a bloody man. That's some pretty hard words. Pretty painful words. Then said Abishai the son of Zeru unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse the Lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee. And take off his head. I love David's mighty men. I love, I love Abishai here. And I'd have had the same thought. What did David say? Verse 10 it says, The king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruah? So let him curse. Because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who shall say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai, and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which come forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. It may be the Lord will look on mine affliction, and the Lord will require me good for his cursing this day. And as David and all his men went on the way, Shimei went along the hillside, over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. David said, I'm, I'm going to leave the matter with the Lord. I'm, I'm going to trust the Lord. Christian, we need to learn to forbear and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to have to trust this with you because I can't do it. I, I can't deal with it. I don't know the right thing to do. I can't act or react correctly. I'm going to trust the Lord. And we see David had that response. Christ lived to love the unlovely. That was the purpose of Christ. Matthew 5 says, Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But if we look and we continue on, it says, But I say unto you, this is Christ. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that spitefully use you and persecute you. This passage was the passage a preacher in the Middle East would get up in a church service and preach and quote the verse. It was the message from this passage that would be heard by a young man who would pen the book, Son of Hamas the man whose father was one of the leading members, leading founding members of Hamas. This man who had penned the, that wonderful book, his testimony, Son of Hamas, would go into a church service. He would be invited. Imagine this. The leader of the Hamas youth invited to a Christian church service. And he went out of curiosity. He heard a message of that verse, love your enemies. And his testimony, I heard him give his testimony in person. His testimony was, when I heard that preacher read the Bible and it said, love your enemies, he said, I thought to myself, the most religious man I know is my father. He said, and my father, who was the most religious and most devout man I knew, he said, I knew without a doubt my father could not love his enemies. 
He said, I knew there was something different about Jesus. It was that glimpse into the heart of Christ that would soften the shell of that dear young man who had grown up and a follower of Islam and learning of hate all of his life. And he would become a born-again child of God because he saw love that was greater than religion, greater than rules, greater than something that was built. We see here the picture, the sympathy of Christ. Acts 10, 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And it says of Jesus there in the book of Acts, it went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Christian, can I encourage you to be forbearing and long-suffering as Christ is? We'll continue next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be encouraged, to be challenged. And Lord, the message goes against our nature, our physical nature, our flesh nature. Lord, help us to follow and be like you. Help us to set aside our flesh. Help us to be forbearing, long-suffering. Help us to love as you love. And Lord, help us to just trust you. Help us to put aside our sword, put aside our judgment, and simply be followers and proclaimers of Christ. Bless us now. Be with us in our service to come. Be with many that are traveling yet to be here. Lord, I pray you'd work in our hearts and our service today. In your precious name we pray. Amen.